MSW Media. Thanks to Real Paper for supporting Daily Beans. There are no new trees cut down to make Real Paper products. You can sign up for a subscription and get 30% off your first order at realpaper, R-E-E-L, paper.com slash dailybeans, or use code dailybeans at checkout. And today's episode of The Beans is brought to you by my favorite daily nutritional drink, Athletic Greens. Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. Go to athleticgreens.com slash dailybeans to take ownership of your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. And we thank them for their support. And thanks to Fight Camp for supporting Daily Beans. They bring the best workout to you at home. Learn boxing and kickboxing with world-class programming, elite trainers, premium equipment, and smart technology. Now is the best time to get your Fight Camp. Purchase this month and get an additional pair of gloves for free at joinfightcamp.com slash beans. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Monday, January 17th, 2022. Today, the hostages taken in a standoff at a synagogue in Colleyville, Texas, are all alive and accounted for. The Texas Attorney General is ordered to release emails and texts regarding the insurrection. Over 1,200 former DOJ officials sign a letter urging criminal accountability for those who orchestrated the attack on democracy January 6th. The Biden administration warns Arizona is at risk of losing federal COVID relief funds. And emails show the orange shitgibbons officials interfered with the 2020 census beyond cutting it short. I'm Allison Gill. And I'm Dana Goldberg. Okay, so regarding the orange shitgibbon thing, I have been taking nicknames gathered from Twitter for the former guy and plugging them in everywhere his name appears in our news articles. So this should be interesting. It should also confuse the shit out of most of our listeners. Good luck. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, If you hear just some weird, just imagine, just, you know, hey, that's, that's like, that's. If there's something where you're like, what did they say? We probably are talking about Donald Trump. (laughs) Yes, that's probably true. Also, today I'm going to be speaking with the author of Hatchet Man, former federal and state prosecutor, CNN legal analyst Ellie Honig, to discuss the discussion about the Department of Justice and news over the weekend. A man who took hostages in an 11 hour standoff at the Beth Israel Congregation in Colleyville, Texas, has been killed by the FBI hostage rescue team. All hostages have been released. Two law enforcement officials told CNN Saturday investigators believe the hostage taker may have been motivated by a desire to release. Afia Siddiqui, who is serving an 86-year sentence at a facility in Texas. She was convicted in 2010 on seven charges, including attempted murder and armed assault on U.S. officers in Afghanistan. So, so A.G., I read this story, and this woman that is in, in prison in this facility in Texas used to be the most wanted woman in the world. There has been um, hostage negotiations where the Afghanistan government, the Afghani government, has wanted her back in exchange for hostage, American hostages, journalists, things like that. And we have said no because she is that dangerous. Yeah. And that's it. I did all the research. It's bonkers. The story's bonkers. I'm so glad everyone is okay. That was horrifying. I was not expecting a positive outcome. And we got one. We got all the hostages out, the rabbi, everybody. Yes. Whew, I mean, physically safe, at least physically safe. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of aftermath with that emotionally for sure. But I'm so grateful everyone is alive and that and that it ended the way it did. Obviously, they had a good FBI team down there. The hostage rescue team did their job, did it well. And um, yeah, so a horrifying story that ended as, as best as it possibly could, I think. Yeah, right. I concur. Unless they could have taken this person alive. True, true. It is curious that when white people do this, they're taken alive. Absolutely. I don't know the situation that with which this person had to be killed. So I don't know. It just <laughs> it's a little prickly there. But the, the important thing is that everyone is physically safe. Absolutely. All right. With that, we do have a bunch of other news to get to. Let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. The Travis County District Attorney's Office in Austin, Texas, informed Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton Republican 
on Thursday (laughs) that he had violated the state's open records laws by refusing to release any of his communications from around January 6th, 2021, when Paxton was in D.C. and appeared at the rally that preceded the Capitol siege. District Attorney Jose Garza, Democrat, gave Paxton four days to, quote, cure the violation by turning over the documents or face a lawsuit. The Texas Public Information Act gives the public the right to government records, including those on personal devices or a public official's online accounts. Paxton has tried to claim attorney-client privilege for every email and text he sent in the days surrounding the January 6th attack. The top editors of five newspapers, the Austin American Statesman, the Dallas Morning News, the Fort Worth Star-Telegram, the Houston Chronicle, and the San Antonio Express News filed a complaint with the Travis County DA on January 4th accusing Paxton of violating the open records law. The attorney general is the one who typically enforces the Public Information Act, but when the attorney general is the one doing the criming, the law also allows the Travis County District Attorney's Office to handle violations filed against a state agency. The newspapers filed their complaint with Garza. Now, Bill Alishire, an attorney and transparency expert, cool, told The Chronicle that uh, this is the first time he's heard of the state attorney general being accused of violating the open records law to shield his own communications. Quote, when the public official responsible for enforcing public records law violates those laws himself, (laughs) it puts a dagger in the heart of transparency at every level in Texas. He went on to say, why should other Texas officials be transparent with public information if not the attorney general himself? The House 6 committee, the January 6th committee in the House is also interested in Paxton's communications with the former president, Yam Tits, and has requested some of them from the National Archives and other federal agencies. That's from the Texas Tribune. Paxton, seeking re-election this year, is currently facing the fiercest scrutiny of his decades-long career with several GOP challengers, three state criminal indictments, allegations of an extramarital affair, and a pending FBI bribery investigation. Thank you very much, G. I'd like to go on record immediately by requesting that President Yam tits never be used again. <laughs> but I am okay with this next one. Dope 45's administration alarmed career civil servants at the Census Bureau by not only ending the 2020 national head count early, but a newly released email shows they also pressured them to alter plans for protecting people's privacy and producing accurate data. Yes, it went way farther than just ending it early. So... TFG's political appointees at the Commerce Department, that oversees the Bureau, they demonstrated what they said was unusually high level of, quote, engagement in technical matters, which is unprecedented relative to the previous censuses, end quote. Now, that's according to a September 2020 email that Ron Jarman, the Bureau's deputy director, sent to two other top civil servants. Now, at the time, the administration was faced with this reality that if the twice impeached ex-president lost the November election, he could also lose a chance to change the census numbers used to redistribute political representation. Now, the window of opportunity was closing for his administration to attempt to radically reshape the futures of the U.S. House of Representatives and Electoral College. They succeeded in some states, as you remember. A couple of Republicans got more seats and, and, and Democrats lost a couple when the, when the census numbers went in. The newly released email, first reported by the New York Times, it details the wide scope of its attempts to buck the Bureau's experts and tamper with the count. Now, according to the document AG, the agency's career civil servant saw when to end counting as, quote, a policy decision that political leadership should make. But the methodologies and procedures for filling in data gaps, reviewing the counts of errors, and protecting the confidentiality of people's information should strictly stay in the lane of civil servants at, quote, an independent statistical agency. And, quote, now administration officials, that, that included Wilbur Ross, who served as Commerce Secretary, however, quote, expressed interest in many technical issues, including exactly how the Bureau could produce a state-by-state count of unauthorized immigrants and citizenship data that could have politically benefited Republicans when voting districts are redrawn. The email suggests that the Bureau's civil servants were planning to discuss their concerns with Ross through the end of 2020. Now, on Tuesday, the Biden administration's Scientific Integrity Task Force issued a report warning that the Bureau and other federal statistical agencies must protect against interference in their efforts to create and release data that provide a set of common facts to inform policymakers, researchers, and the public, end quote. 
The report presented the former administration's decision to end the 2020 census counting early as a case study, noting that the Bureau's internal watchdog, the Commerce Department Inspector General's office, they concluded that the rushed schedule put the quality of the results at risk. <laughs> you think? Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is the last quote. To date, the report added no individuals had been held accountable for these allegations. And they need it to be. feels like conspiracy to me. It seems like a conspiracy to I defraud the United States. Would agree. And over 1,100 and counting Department of Justice alums have signed on to a letter to Merrick Garland about criminal accountability for the efforts to overturn the 2020 election. Here's some excerpts from that letter. Quote, we are alumni of the Department of Justice who have served under both Democratic and Republican administrations in career and politically appointed roles, many of us as prosecutors. We always understood our responsibility was to ensure even-handed enforcement of the law and to uphold the fundamental democratic principle that, irrespective of position, no one is above it. We strongly support the attorney general in conducting the ongoing meticulous investigation into the events of January 6th. Numerous individuals have already been charged with serious felony offenses, including seditious conspiracy, corruptly obstructing the congressional vote count proceeding and conspiring to do so. And additional prosecutions are likely. We were especially encouraged to hear A.G. Garland's statement on the anniversary of the insurrection that the department is committed to holding accountable anyone at any level who was, quote, criminally responsible for the assault on our democracy, regardless of whether they were present at the Capitol on January 6th. While he appropriately refrained from naming subjects of the investigation against whom charges may be brought or the specific evidence being evaluated, the import of his words is clear. The DOJ investigation will continue to focus on those who played the most significant roles in attempting to destroy our democracy, no matter their positions at the height of government. And the investigation will not be limited to the violence that occurred on January 6th. Indeed, in our view, it should extend to any actions of administration officials and others to overturn the will of the voters that preceded and followed the insurrection. While we know that there is important investigative work yet to be done and that difficult decisions remain to be made, we support the attorney general and the department in their commitment to prosecute anyone as to whom the evidence ultimately shows provable criminal conduct in the events surrounding January 6th, including, if warranted, those who engaged in post-election attempts to pressure federal and state officials to violate their responsibilities. And while the attorney general rightly counseled patients as the department moves the investigation toward higher level actors, we urge him to preserve the public trust by holding culpable leaders to account as soon as possible. His speech appropriately recognizes that if those who hold the most power are allowed to act with impunity while the less powerful are sent to prison, equal justice under the law would be a lie and respect for the rule of law and democracy itself would be in grave danger of destruction. For all these reasons, we call on the attorney general to continue to translate his important words into concrete actions to impose accountability of the powerful people who sought to destroy our democracy in every case supported by the evidence. We stand ready to support him and the department's career staff as they carry forward this vital mission. Now, with that, there was an incredibly misleading Washington Post article out this week, this weekend, by Matt Zapatosky called The Justice Department Alleged January 6th Was Seditious Conspiracy now it will investigate Trump, unquote. And I only used his name because it was in the name of the article. First, the Post gets a lot of its info from this article from Jonathan Turley. That is a Manchurian cantaloupe lawyer. <laughs> Manchurian cantaloupe. <laughs> Washington Post also claims that because people present at the Willard Hotel haven't received direct requests for testimony, that means the DOJ isn't investigating them. But then way down in paragraph 30, as pointed out by Marcy Wheeler, The Post contradicts itself by breaking the news that a lawyer representing key defendants says the Department of Justice is pretty aggressively seeking information about others, including Roger Stone and Rudy Giuliani, who was, by the way, at the Willard. So multiple contradictions and a failure to mention the New York Times reporting that multiple insurrection leaders are being asked to sign sworn statements about Cheeto Mussolini's involvement. A reminder, we have public records showing Department of Justice has asked about Rudy Sidney Powell, Mike Lindell, Mike Flynn, Roger Stone, Alex Jones, Republican members of Congress, and fuckface Von Clownstick. Big fan of that one. Me too. Thank you for, I think that was John Stewart. There we go. And that the Department of Justice has an open and ongoing IG investigation into the former ferret-wearing shit-gibbons Department of Justice officials and their role in trying to overturn the election results. 
two of my favorites so far in that last paragraph. Thank you very much, AG. And the last story for today, the Biden administration is threatening to recoup COVID-19 relief funds sent to Arizona over state provisions that it says discourage families and school districts from following federal guidance recommending face coverings in schools. At issue are two state programs that are meant to help schools and students, but that direct funding away from jurisdictions with mask requirements. Arizona's Education Plus Up grant program provides $163 million in funding to schools, but districts that require face coverings are ineligible. Really fucking ridiculous. And its COVID-19 Educational Recovery Benefit Program provides up to $7,000 for parents if their child's school requires face coverings or quarantines after exposure. It lets parents use the money for private school tuition or other education costs, and its design mirrors the state's existing school voucher program. So I I expected something like this in her DeVos. I'm not going to lie, but she's gone. So the only excuse is whatever's going on in Arizona. Mm -hmm. The program has had few takers, despite Republican Governor Doug Ducey's office touting it as a response to an outcry from parents. Now, as of last week, only 85 students were getting the vouchers and less than $600,000 of the $10 had been allocated. Mm. Also last week, the governor created a third program that is likely to run afoul of Treasury Department spending rules. It's another $10 million school voucher program for parents whose children's schools close for even one day after January 2nd due to COVID-19. Ridiculous. In a Friday letter, the Treasury Department warned that the state has 60 days to remove the anti-masking provisions before the federal government moves to recover the relief money. And it threatens to withhold the next tranche of aid as well. Now, uh, the the mango wanker, also a good one, just held one of his Klan rallies there this weekend and actually tore into Doug Ducey, which was, I love when they eat their own, by the way. It's amazing. (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's really interesting on the optics on this, AG, and this is just a side note. I I hope they make this perfectly clear that this is what's going on in Arizona, and this is not retribution from the Biden administration because of cinema. So I do hope that's being made clear because it could look a little sketchy. You know what I mean? Where we don't get her support and all of a sudden we're threatening to pull COVID-19. So I do hope that they're making this clear. It's because the Republicans are doing all kinds of fuckstick jack down there, Mm -hmm. like messing up the school system. So it'll be interesting. Yeah. This is my mom giving me money for rent and I spend it on booze. You know, exactly. Which may or may not have happened in the past. I I can't. I don't know. Yeah, we're not talking from personal experience. Confirm or deny that purchase of Doc Martens or leather jackets or anything like that. But next up, <laughs> I'm going to talk with um, my friend. Alex, I'll take things that lesbians say for 400 <laughs> Thank you. Even though you're not a lesbian. <laughs> and I didn't spend it on a leather jacket or Doc Martens. What year is it? <laughs> 1987. Okay. <laughs> uh, next up, I talk with my friend, former federal and state prosecutor and author of Hatchet Man, Ellie Honig, about social media weirdness surrounding the Department of Justice and how we might be missing each other. Although we do disagree on a couple things. You'll hear about it right after this. Stay with us. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey, everybody, it's AG. Are you ready to make 2022 your best year yet? Here's something that will revolutionize how you work out. It's called Fight Camp, and it brings you the best workout in the world in the comfort and safety of your own home. You'll have access to world-class programming, elite trainers, premium equipment, and interactive technology that's so smart it makes learning to box and kickbox from home a fun and interactive experience. The combination of boxing with plyometric exercise gives you a full-body workout that combines cardio and strength training. It also sharpens your mind because you have to focus and concentrate. That's essential for boxing and precise combinations. It forces you to consider every punch you throw. It's the ultimate way to clear your mind and forget you're working out. With Fight Camp, you'll have everything you need to get started right from home, including you get a punching bag, boxing gloves, hand wraps, and smart punch trackers. And it takes up less room than you think. If you have enough room to do a push-up, you have enough room for Fight Camp. Get the whole family involved, too. This is so kid-friendly. There's no heavy weights or spinning wheels. There's nothing dangerous. So it's one of the only home workouts that's safe for kids. It's a great way for them to get their energy out, get involved, tire them out, you know, learn something new and have fun together. It keeps their mind sharp also. And I love how intense boxing and kickboxing workouts are. It's fantastic cardio and fight camp. The workouts are so varied. I always enjoy something fresh and new. It keeps me interested and motivated. So now's the best time to get your fight camp. Take advantage of their holiday deals still going on now. If you purchase this month, you'll get an additional pair of gloves for free. Just go to joinfightcamp.com beans to get an additional pair of gloves for free. 
That's joinfightcamp.com slash beans. Again, joinfightcamp.com slash beans. And today's show is also brought to you by Real Paper. Uh, According to estimates, there are tens of thousands of trees that are cut down every day to make products that are discarded or flushed down the toilet. And as our forests remove nearly a quarter of the carbon that we that we emit into the atmosphere, that's that we you can see how they play a vital role in combating climate change. And real paper is here to help. With real paper, deforestation and waste generated by single-use plastics are reduced. Real paper uses non-virgin tree fibers and no plastic to make its toilet paper and paper towels, so no new trees are cut down to make them. Real developed a sustainable alternative that preserves the health of our planet without sacrificing quality. I have a bunch. I love it. My paper towels are soft, durable, absorbent. The the toilet paper is comfy and awesome and soft. And this is a small but notable change that you can make. You know, more than 250,000 pieces of single-use plastic have already been eliminated with real paper. And by purchasing real paper, you'll be contributing to the funding of clean sanitation programs around the world. I love that. My favorite thing about real paper products is that they're sustainable and that by using them, I'm actually contributing to saving the planet rather than destroying it. Purchasing real paper is a simple, hassle-free process. Their website uh, is awesome. You can either sign up for a subscription or get a one-time purchase. All orders are conveniently delivered to your door in 100% recyclable, plastic-free packaging, too. And if you head to realpaper.com slash dailybeans and sign up for a subscription using my code dailybeans, all one word, at checkout, you'll automatically get 30% off your first order. That's real paper, R-E-E-L-P-A-P-E-R dot com slash daily beans and enter promo code daily beans at checkout to get 30% off your first order. Real paper is toilet paper and paper towels that change lives and protect the planet. Everybody, welcome back. Today I am joined by my friend, author of the book Hatchet Man, which you absolutely must read if you have not yet. Also CNN legal analyst and former federal and state prosecutor, Ellie Honig. Ellie, welcome. AG, it is great to be with you. I should add on the topic of Hatchet Man, and this will be relevant to what we talk about today because I care a lot about DOJ and I'm always rooting for DOJ. I have a new paperback version of Hatchet Man coming out in March and they asked me to add a new chapter, sort of updating it. And I I don't want to give away too much, but I'll tell you that the title of the new chapter relating to Bill Barr is, quote, worse than we knew. Um, So... (laughs) That's on top of what I already did, which was a whole book, you know, attacking Bill Barr. And, and now there's more. So anyway, look forward to that. that. That's a couple months away. Yeah. And there's always more. And there I think there will continue to be more. I think we can look for a Hatchet Man <laughs> second and third edition right. as, as the years roll by. Right. As right. we find out more. And speaking of finding out more. Yes. And how long it's taking or how short it's taking, depending on how you are viewing this. There is a some sort of battle going on on Twitter. <laughs> yes. And somehow the powers that be have pitted you and I against one another, <laughs> despite us being friends and agreeing on a lot of things. Although we do we do differ in, in some of our uh, opinions about about what's going on. I am not a former federal prosecutor. You are a former federal prosecutor, Southern District of New York. And so I wanted to bring you on today and you reached out to me. You're like, hey, let's, let's talk did. this out. Yes. You're like, let's talk, let's talk this out because it's getting weird. Yeah. And I agree because if I tweet one thing like, you know, it's time for Garland to look at the obstruction of justice charge, time for the D.C. U.S. attorney to look at those obstruction of justice from the Mueller volume two, a dereliction of duty if you do not. Then I get a swarm of people saying, hey, back off of Garland. But if I tweet out in support of Garland saying, hey, Watergate took two and a half years and that was a much smaller, more reasonable investigation. We need to wait and see where the facts fall. Then I get attacked saying that yeah. I'm spreading hope, porn and, and <laughs> gaslighting the nation. Yeah. So I think because we can only speak in 280 characters at a time. Is that right? 280? I think that's right. You know, yeah, yeah, exactly. We end up getting people who wrap our entire belief system up in a tweet and we end up talking past each other. And I was hoping we could discuss this a little bit today. What are your what are your top line thoughts for, you know, first of all, we can, we yeah. can dive into the weeds about what DOJ is and isn't doing and how fast they're doing it in a minute. But yeah, what, what can we all agree on? Yeah, I totally feel the same. You know, Twitter is not the uh, fullest place to have a, a meaningful, well-fleshed-out, nuanced conversation. And there is there is a lot of that, right? It, it, and, you know, some of the reactions are just like, you, you can't even, don't even know where to begin. But let me say, all the people who are following this, and it's not a Democrat or a Republican thing. There are people from both parties who, who I think are on the same page. And, and it's not a, a liberal or a conservative thing. It's just it's a group of people who a care about DOJ, which I do very strongly, and b want to see meaningful justice done. And I think that's what unites 
a lot of people here, but there seems to be this oversimplified battle going on. And I'll just give you one example. Like I've been saying I, I, on your show and elsewhere for months and months now, DOJ needs to be charging people with sedition. It fits the crimes. It fits the conduct. Why aren't they charging sedition? Then last week they charged sedition and I see a whole bunch of, oh, shut up, Honig. Now you were, you were wrong. See, it's like, no, this is the equivalent of saying like, why aren't, I'll, I'll make a timely example. Let's see, it's Sunday. Uh, who's playing later? Kansas City. Kansas City needs to throw the ball to Tyreek Hillmore. And then if Mahomes hits them for three touchdowns today, you go, yeah, see, that's what I was saying. I'm right. They did what I said they needed to do and it worked, right? So it's like, there's so much like blame, blame, blame. So yes, I think there is, uh, there is a, the, the indictment that we saw last week became this flashpoint. I think there's a lot that it is but also a lot that it is not. And the way I phrased it uh, previously, and I'll stand by it, is it was a big step, a big moment, a big step forward for DOJ. However, do not turn this into some sort of George W. Bush on the, on the you know, cruiser mission accomplished moment. Because if you believe that this is it and all is well and justice has arrived or will arrive soon, then I, then I think we need to step back and reconsider. But you know, we also, I think we both agree Neither of us is inside the room, right? We, you never do know fully what prosecutors are doing. However, there's plenty in the public record that we can discuss and analyze and assess based on. So I think we can start there. Yeah, I agree. And when I have been tweeting out for months now, hey, stop calling for seditious conspiracy when obstructing an official proceeding, 18 U.S. Code 15 C2, is so much easier to prove and carries a 20 year max sentence, just like seditious conspiracy. And we we don't have a very long precedent of seditious conspiracy. I'm trying to temper expectations while defending the Department of Justice, and then boom, seditious conspiracy. Yeah, and and I'm like, I actually underestimated the Department of Justice in their ability to do this. Yeah, that's an interesting starting point. You know, I think both of those statutes. What's the difference? The difference really boils down to force, right? It, it, they, because after the word force, they're basically the same thing, which is seeking to obstruct a governmental process, which here is Congress counting the electoral votes. If it's by force, then it's sedition. If it's not, then it's obstructing Congress. I actually agree with you that obstructing Congress is the cleanest, easiest way to do this. But I think if there's an element of force, then by all means, you know, charge it as both, right? Add the seditious conspiracy charges. There was a really interesting article by Lawfare. Of course, they're brilliant over there. I don't always agree with them, but I think they had a good take on this, which is they said, if the, if the bar is going to be set this high, that you can only charge seditious conspiracy if there's some direct participation in force, like we see in this case. Let's buy guns, guys. Let's have our stacks. Let's have our QRFs, you know, our quick response forces, whatever it is. That's going to necessarily, by definition, exclude people who weren't, probably, people who weren't physically present. We don't know. Is it possible, let's say, a Roger Stone or some intermediary was involved with the Oath Keepers and their, their plans to attack the Capitol in a certain way and use certain munitions? Maybe. And if so, then, then they'll be part of the conspiracy. But if you're going to construe it that way, in all likelihood, I think it's fair to say, it will exclude other power players from sedition charges. However, as you say, I agree with you, and this is sort of my starting point. I think you and I have been here all along. Obstruction of Congress, seeking to block electoral votes, doesn't have to be by force, just the obstruction of Congress. That I, I still believe is applicable to plenty of people who were maybe in the Willard War Room or maybe in the White House, but not physically mm -hmm. present that day. Yeah. And this might not be being investigated. And of course, we're not in the room. We don't know as one giant, massive conspiracy. These yeah. might be pillars of conspiracy, if or, you want to call or, it that. And like, I think as Joyce Vance, who's a, a friend yes. of both of ours, just put it, really overlapping conspiracies, right? Like yes. this is not, I, I tell me if you agree, but my, my impression of this is this is not one neat hierarchy, right? Like when I used to do the mob cases, you would, you, we had those like pyramid shaped charts and it would be associates on the bottom and they reported up to the soldiers who reported up to the capos who reported up to the underboss who reported up to the boss. This is not, I don't believe that neat, right? I don't think you're going to have a direct line from Oath Keepers to Donald Trump. I guess it's possible, but I think what you have here is a lot of overlapping conspiracies. And it's clear to me that Trump and the John Eastmans yes. certainly had a conspiracy to obstruct Congress, right? And that's the memo. And now we're learning about these forged elector certificates, which is so outrageous. 
Um, I'm not sure there's going to be a direct connection to these oath keepers. Maybe there is, but I guess my bigger point is there doesn't need to be. You don't need to, there doesn't. right? There's still ways they can be charged in a separate but overlapping conspiracy. Right. And so that's, you know, what I've been calling the seven state conspiracy. Right. Which includes Eastman, Ellis, McEntee, Rudy, that whole clan, Trump, yep. Meadows, yep. who might have been the one who coordinated the fake certificates coming up from the seven states. Eastman pointing out the, the seven states in his six point coup memo. Waldron or whatever that guy's name was with the with his PowerPoint about the seven states. We've got the Clark letters from the DOJ to the seven states that weren't going that weren't going to be authorized or everyone was going to resign en masse. And then we have the calls to Raffensburger in Michigan and Arizona. Right. And that to me is all one conspiracy. Yep. Then we have seditious conspiracy here with the Oath Keepers. And I think that might be actually joined soon by Proud Boys and Three Percenters who have outstanding indictments with a person one named who were also planning this shit by force, although they the, those two other groups didn't have quick reaction forces. And I don't know if that's the straw that broke the camel's back. But those, you know, the militia yeah. by force. And so we have multiple different, like you said, and Joy said, overlapping conspiracies here. Now, what we have seen is plenty going on with the militias. And then we've seen a little bit of nuggets here and there about the FBI or prosecutors asking these guys to sign sworn affidavits involving that this involved Trump yep. or Trump made them do it, which could seems like, you know, why would you do that if you weren't trying to get evidence against Donald? We have them asking about if they conspired with members of Congress. We have Alex Jones and Roger Stone knowing to be under Department of Justice investigation for their involvement. The Willard Hotel, Rudy Giuliani, his seized phones this past April. So we have clues and hints. But we haven't gotten to the point yet where the Department of Justice that we know of has subpoenaed or brought in any of these loudmouth recalcitrant witnesses because we would have heard about it. Right. But my question is, maybe you don't bring those guys in until the very end because, you know, they're going to blow your cover or maybe you don't have to bring those targets in front of a grand jury at all. It's possible, right? You don't always, you know, typically if you have people who you regard as targets, right, people who you're likely to charge you wouldn't be subpoenaing them. I'm not sure. The question I guess I have is, is DOJ subpoenaing or going after anybody who has a potential direct line to Trump? It could be. You name some of the sort of strands where that may be. Um, look, it would not at all surprise me to see more seditious conspiracy charges against your militias, your your extremist groups, whether it's, you know, we've already seen with Oath Keepers, maybe we'll see with some of the other groups that were on the ground. You know, the question is, how are they going to go after what I think you and I and a lot of people agree as the more removed power sources, maybe the more potent power sources, the people. And, and, you know, this Oath Keepers indictment was very significant, but it is still quite literally at ground level. I mean, all of those people were physically present at the Capitol. I know the president of the Oath Keepers uh, did not physically go into the building, but he was there. So how are they going to move above and beyond that, I guess, is the big question. And do they see it? Does DOJ see it as enough to charge a John Eastman or a Steve Bannon that they were in on this memo, on this, you know, fake slates of electors kind of thing? Do they see that as enough to charge a crime? I mean, I do, <laughs> based on what I've seen. <laughs> um, but I don't know, you know, the, so that's sort of the question. Is Merrick Garland going to need to see some kind of, hey, let's storm the Capitol with crowbars. Hey, let's have a boat coming over from Virginia in order to charge these things as crimes? Or are, are they going to see the effort to steal the election sort of writ large, assuming you're not going to be able to pin direct acts of violence or ammunition or weapons on people like Bannon or A. Eastman? Are they going to be willing to bring charges in those cases? That's a big question that I'm going to be watching. Same. And, and I think a couple of, of things that we've learned from this, this seditious conspiracy charge, this you know 11-person indictment, is that it's not just about the day. No. It started back with the Stop the Steal rallies and the Million MAGA March, and it continued afterwards, the planning that happened after the attack on the Capitol. And something that I think is very interesting, too, is all the attention seems to be on Merrick Garland, who, yeah. yes, of course, is going to have to approve or disapprove of any big charges on, you know, mm -hmm. like this Oath Keeper conspiracy. I had to go through Garland. Of course. However, we are having reports from CNN, and I don't know, I haven't heard anybody corroborate this, that Sherwin, Michael fucking Sherwin, tried to bring these charges back in March and he was already in being investigated for his improper behavior and, and 
jeopardizing that particular investigation and potentially right. violating the civil rights of those Oath Keepers. Yeah. To where Meta had to call a conference and was like, all right, is everything OK? Is everything chill? Shut up, Sherwin, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. And so, yeah, if I were Merrick Garland, I'd be like, this this case isn't buttoned up. But, but we have a new D.C. U.S. attorney who got there in November. Yeah. His name is Matt Graves. He seems like a badass to me. And if there was any if there was any hesitancy and, and there's no we don't have any proof that there was any hesitancy on Merrick Garland's part unless the case wasn't buttoned up, like not just like I don't want to charge too hard. You know, if there was any hesitancy, this Matthew Graves said, no, we're doing this. And and Garland did agree. And so these are where the charges are going to come from. And so I think that we've got a, a U.S. attorney heading up the D.C. office, the, the U.S. attorney's office, that seems willing to go out on that limb and charge the hard cases. And that's where my faith lies right now. Well, so a couple things. It'll be it's interesting and I think not knowable to you or me at this point what the dynamic is inside DOJ, right? Is is Garland saying to the U.S. attorney in D.C., hey, I want to hear where you're at and I, I'm going to largely defer to you? Or are they sort of, you know, is Garland making these decisions de novo, as we say, lawyerly, like on his own or, you know, without regard to what's coming from below? I, I think it's fair to say a couple things. One, this is this is slow, no matter how you look at it. We're more than a year out. Right. And we're still not above ground level. And people say, well, things take time. I, I know I've been there. Things do take time but not always, right? I mean, DOJ has shown it can move remarkably quickly when it needs to. They can bring charges very, very quickly. They have resources. They have the charge of the resources. And the thing I keep coming back to is all of this stuff, all of these crimes, from, from the, the lowest level player who stormed the Capitol to the highest level power source, this is the biggest crime. This is the most serious crime we have seen, we collectively have seen in a long time. And to take a year and to still be at ground level is just slow. I mean, People can say maybe it takes maybe it's taking them a long time. I'm not saying they're not doing their job, but it's slow. It just is. You can't get around that. It's it's not moving quickly. Mm. Um, and you know, I also don't agree that they're on a, out on a limb here. This is a slam dunk, seditious conspiracy charge. This is what you would put in the textbook of a more than buttoned. Oh no, I know. I'm just saying a more conservative institutionalist yeah, yeah, yeah. attorney general might not be willing to might they, you know and that's why i for months was like hey i garland might just be like let's just stick with obstructing an right. official proceeding it's cleaner it's but easier and this, is, and this gets back to my sort of long-standing criticism of the way they've charged these cases right the other i don't know 725 or so people have been charged 11 of them now have been charged with sedition the other 714 have not they've been charged with you know, anything from misdemeanor trespass on up to obstruction of Congress. But to me, anyone who used force in any way in that building or conspired to use force meets the definition of sedition. And that's why I've been banging on the wall saying, where are the sedition charges? Anyone who went in there and assaulted a cop, anyone who went in there and destroyed property used force to try to obstruct the proceedings and should have been charged with sedition. And as, as big a step as this is, Let's let's keep it in perspective. I'm not willing to say all is all is well now with DOJ because they have now charged. I, I got out my calculator and did this. One point five percent of the people who they've charged with storming the Capitol have now been charged with sedition. And I think that number should be much, much, much higher. They still can do that. They still can supersede. That's what they did here. This is a superseding indictment, meaning a subsequent indictment. And so I think it's a good start. But I'd like to see seditious conspiracy charges against a lot more people on the ground level and if, if appropriate above ground level. Right. I think it's the conspiracy part. Yeah. You need two or more people. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I do expect those three percenters and proud boys to be wrapped up in this. Yeah. Wouldn't well. surprise we will me see. Yep. Yep. We'll see. So, yeah, if, if DC U.S. attorney is willing to do it for for the Oath Keepers. But again, I don't know if it was the quick reaction force that made the difference. Right. They had they had <laughs> arsenals stashed across the Potomac ready to go. Yeah. Well, but, you know, I, I hope they're not I hope they're not setting the bar that high that it has to be all of that, because to me, that's an extreme case. Right. But even if you're like, hey, guys, let's get together. Let's go in there. Let's kick ass as necessary and have have some bear spray on you. That's enough, too. That's force. You know what I mean? That should be enough. Uh, I, I think it may be intent. I, I honestly don't yeah. know. I honestly don't know. And then also we have to remember, God damn, there, there's this 700 plus. Yeah. We we charge all these guys. They all plead not guilty. We're in court until 2050. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. These cases will, will take a long time. And some of these guys are going to go to trial. And, you know, by the way, like 
there is some benefit in going to trial. It's good to have a public airing of this stuff. I think we need to have this uh, public public air. That's why the indictment that we saw last week was so important. I mean, most of that indictment was already out, by the way. That was that the, the stuff about a lot of that detail was already in the original indictment, which came out months ago. What was really new the other day was a they added the the, the boss of the oath keepers, and b they added sedition charges. Beyond that, they had some more signal communications than they had in the first time. But the whole thing about leaving the weapons in the Holiday Inn or whatever hotel it was, and let's have a recon boat go across the Potomac. That was all in the original indictment. Yeah, exactly. And and recon is recon, whether you're stashing weapons across the Potomac or you're meeting up in Raleigh, South Carolina before you head to the Capitol, which is what, you know, some of these other militia groups did. So we'll see where it goes. And, you know, we we do disagree on some points. I think this is moving along at a a pretty fast clip. You think it's going too slowly. What we don't know and what I've talked to Pete Strzok about and a couple other people Mm -hmm. about is, you know, when Garland came on January 5th and said, hey, we, we have to look through 20,000 hours of video. We mm-hmm. have to look through 15 terabytes of shit. You know, this is a lot. And then he said he had 5,000 subpoenas. Pete Strzok was actually taken aback by that. He's like, only 5,000. <laughs> he's like, it is a lot. That seems low, given the amount of evidence. But he's, he thought it seemed low. And he also, what he was asking for and what I had asked for, too, when I kept pushing that somebody come out and give a press conference on January 6th, which he ended up doing, yay. Yeah on the fifth was what resources are you putting on this? Show me that it's urgent to you. Show me that you've moved people into an office or that right. you've got good grand juries or what your what resources you've put on this so that you don't have to tell me what you're doing and who you're doing it to, just how important it is. Just give us an idea of the urgency of this particular investigation. Yeah. You know, especially in the light of when we see stories like, oh, they've stood up a new Farah unit or they've they're going after people on airplanes or you right. know, it, those stories come out. I'm like, what is what are you putting on this? And that's kind of one of the things I think is missing. But I think the bigger point here, as Ali, is that we need to be careful about talking past each yeah. other on the interwebs yeah. and and understand that when you just put out one tweet of a f- story. Right. It's not your entire view of a of a hundred and fifteen thousand person agency. Exactly. And let, let me, you know, along those lines, like here, here's a bit of nuance. Yes, I'm critical. I think things should be moving faster. I'd like to see a bit more urgency. But I know firsthand there's no such thing as an easy case. Every case has a defense lawyer and, and they they don't, you know, they don't just like put their tail between their legs and say, how quickly can I plead? Right. And we used to, I, I had one particular supervisor who used to always be, you know, wanting bigger cases quicker, sooner, sooner, bigger, bigger. And he would just go, we'll just plead everyone out. And then, you know, it's like, okay, but just pleading everyone out is not that easily done, right? Much easier said than done. Mm -hmm. But the urgency thing is important too. And this this goes back to one of my sort of still standing criticisms of DOJ, which is the symbolism here matters, or or not just symbolism is not quite the right word, but the statement you're making. Perception. The statements that you're making by the way you charge these cases matters. And at this point, we still have multiples, three, four times as many people charged with trespass as we do with seditious conspiracy. Now, I suspect that that will even out. I do think there will be more seditious conspiracy cases against some of those other militia-like groups that you name. So, you know, this could have been, it's it's quite possible that this was an important turning point um, and, and signals sort of the end result of a long time and a lot of work. And now maybe we'll start to see a steadier drumbeat of these charges. So, you know, we will see. Yeah. And we're also getting up to about the time where if you're going to subpoena loudmouths. Yeah. <laughs> that's probably where I think we're probably in those getting close to or approaching those stages, just given the amount of time that these kinds of investigations take. And again, it's also impossible to compare because when was the last giant coup multi conspiracy <laughs> plot to overthrow the I government case one. that we yeah. that we have to compare it to? You're right. This is obviously an unprecedented thing. And again, we have to keep in mind, this is not going to be a straight line. You're not going to be able to build one of those huge organizational pyramids that covers everybody from the Oath Keepers on up and on down. It, it's, yeah, think of it as as multiple, cons- it could be 15 different conspiracies all aligned with, you know, similar motivation, but 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 different different relationships, different lines of command. So it's not as easy as, as we always use the analogy, climbing the ladder. It's not necessarily that linear. Yeah. And I also hope people understand that it's not just about what seems obvious to us. It's about the facts and what you can prove in a court of law. And Ellie, I, I've used one of your stories in Hatchet yeah. Man about a, a mob driver that you flipped because the the, the mob boss oh, yeah. 
had put out a hit, but not a murder hit, just a hospital hit, right? right? Like just beat this guy Hospital up. beating was the term. Yeah. A hospital <laughs> beating. And so when the guy, when the guy showed up, the, this guy comes out from under a blanket from a backseat, starts shooting, yeah. kills the yep. guy. You can't go after the mob boss for, for murder on right. that because his intent was just to hospitalize the guy. It was just assault. And so, you know, when I hear, when I see things like Jenny Thomas should be in Gitmo, for funding the insurrection. I'm like, you would have to prove that she knew she was funding a violent insurrection. Yep. If she thought she was funding a rally, and most of these funders are going, that's going to be their defense. I thought it was funding a, P- a rally at the Ellipse. And they might be full of shit. And we pr- can probably sit here and think they're full of shit. But if you don't have that document or that testimony proving that they knew yep. what was going to happen that day, you're not going to be able to get some of these indictments. So everybody has to just kind of understand that without facts and evidence, it's not just what seems obvious to us. It's what has to pass reasonable doubt in a court of law and maintain on appeal. You know, I mean, it's a much higher standard than what what we believe. It's so true. And the trick is, as, as with so many things Trump related, he does so much of what he does out in the open. And, and, it, and it's it's jarring and it's not what you're what you expect. And this this analogy has been made on Donald Trump a million times before, including Mueller. What if instead of all the things that he tweeted and has said at rallies, what if he never said any of that publicly, but it turned out he had all those communications on some, you know, in a folder or, or I know he doesn't text, but like, let's say on a cell phone and let's say the FBI went into that cell phone and suddenly found all these things that he had said on Twitter and all these things he said in a rally, but, but he never said them publicly. And they all came out. Oh my God, look at these communications Donald Trump is having. We'd all flip out. We'd go, oh my God, he needs to be, right? I mean, it would be the biggest crime of all time, but because he does it all publicly and because there's this boiling the frog phenomenon where we're all so used to it that every new revelation just sort of tweaks the temperature up a little more, it just seems like he gets away with things a lot of times for that reason. Mm-hmm. Which is also why it's to me a little bit frustrating that people are like, I don't give a shit about this seditious conspiracy charge. Who cares? Right. It's a big damn deal. You know, to pull it out of context and stick it in 1986 and see how it yeah. feels, yep. you know, but we're not in 1986. <laughs> uh, thank God, because my hair was uh, untenable. I had the same hair. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate your time today. I actually had a bowl haircut in 86. It was probably around 87 or 88 when I started to push it. <laughs> All right. We're going to need photos. <laughs> They're available. <laughs> a great evidence, hard evidence. We need to factually corroborate that. You know, I do want to go on record. We do disagree yeah. on 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 things. Sure, sure. But uh, I mean, we'll see how it all turns out, won't we? Absolutely. I just kind of want to temper expectations. And the last thing I want to do is have people think that Garland can save this democracy single handedly or that he's some sort of a, a Jesus figure who and if and if Trump isn't arrested, that that's what will tank our democracy. Right. It's incredibly important for accountability moving forward for for democracy. But it's not the single thing that this that and we're hanging by a thread, but it, that's not the thread. We're yeah, there's by. so many different elements to it. Everything from from voting rights legislation to gerrymandering and, uh, you know, but accountability, this accountability, both through DOJ and the January 6th committee is, is a big piece of it as well. It so uh, we will all we will all follow it. Uh, and, you know, there is a struggle. I mean, to me, any anything that is is a reminder of the hard truth, whether it's more videos coming out, things that we saw like in the Oath Keepers indictment the other day is also important to to the historical record. And because there's already predictably more than I would actually even have expected, just this virulent strain of revisionism and denialism about January 6th. I mean, you see it in Kevin McCarthy, who all of a sudden has, you know, gone from (laughs) semi-clear about it in the first days to like just outright denialism. And I think that's really a dangerous thing throughout our history to deny what happened. So any, any effort to anything that furthers the truth and brings more out to the light, I think is is a good thing and important. Yes. And also, if everyone can avoid just all out institution bashing, yeah. that would be yes. great. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. Everybody pick up Hatchet Man paperback. When? March? March, yes. March. Uh, the three-year anniversary of the bar memo on obstruction of justice. That's right. Oh, gosh, Excellent. time flies. Worse than we knew, remember. <laughs> worse than we knew an additional chapter second edition for all of you professors out there and you see an illegal analyst former federal and state and process oh, yeah. oh one last quick federal state sure. thing could like georgia yeah. could Fonnie willis say hey feds stay the fuck out i'm taking this this is my jurisdiction you know yeah i well 
legally she can't force them out, but but it, it happens all the time. It's what we call deconfliction, right? Where mm-hmm. uh, and I work, remember both federal and state side, where you call on one side and you go, "Hey guys, look, we're we're in there. We think we have a case. It would be best for us if if you sort of either joined us maybe or stayed out of the way." And a lot of times that results in turf wars. No, we want it. We want it. But I suspect mm-hmm. if Fannie Willis said to DOJ, hey, I think I'm onto something here, they would say, how can we support you and let us know if we get in your way? I mean, that's that's the right answer when you're deconflicting something. So, yeah. you know, it's, it'll be interesting to see what she does. I think there's, I thought you were actually going a slightly different direction, which there is some question, constitutionally speaking, about whether a non-federal prosecutor can charge a former president for something he did while in office. I mean, if she or Manhattan does, well, Manhattan's different because it wouldn't relate to his conduct in office. But if she does charge him, his first move, I guarantee you, I don't, I don't think it will be successful, but his first move will be to go to federal court and argue that this case, the federal court should throw out this state charge because it violates principles of federalism. And it's dangerous if you allow local DAs to start and that, you know, that kind of thing. So if she brings a charge, we're going to have a really interesting constitutional question about whether your locals, your state and county level prosecutors can indict a former president based on conduct in office. So anyway, that's another who knows law school hypothetical that we may see play out. Mm-hmm. But they definitely can share information oh, sure. with one another. So if Trump lawyers meet with Fonnie Willis and they've had the discussions about the phone calls, they could DOJ can get that information without having to subpoena anyone themselves. Yeah, I mean, Fonnie Willis. Well, but those meetings, uh, a lot of time, they're, they're always going to be under a, you know, an agreement that this information can't be used against my client. Right. So lawyers all the time, if lawyers believe their client is in any danger of getting charged, they will ask to come in and meet and they will say, here's why you shouldn't charge my client. Here's why it's a mistake. Here's why he's innocent. Here's why it'll blow up on you, et cetera. But all of that is always made under a written agreement. Sometimes it's called the queen for a day. Basically, it's it's it, yeah the yeah the queen for a day proper thing. This can't be used against my client in any way. But you know, I do think Fonnie Willis or any DA can absolutely deconflict, share information with the feds, and, and that's that's how good right. law, like if how good she, law enforcement would work. Yeah, yeah. Like if she gets a, a Raffensperger deposition, she can she could share that information. Yeah, 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 for sure. All right, cool. <laughs> Thank you very much. And I've already given you your outro, so I'll just say uh, have a great rest of your Sunday. All right, AG. Thanks. I'll talk to you soon. <laughs> yep, we'll do. Stick around, everybody. We'll be right back with the good news. Hey, everybody, it's AG, and this portion of the Daily Beans is brought to you by my new favorite drink. It's called Athletic Greens. It's a health and wellness company that simplifies daily nutrition. Because I have a hectic schedule, I don't get the best sleep, to be honest. Stress can make it difficult for me to keep good nutritional habits and provide my body with the nutrients it needs in order to thrive. But fortunately, I have found Athletic Greens, and it has changed all that. This is the category-leading superfood product. It provides comprehensive, convenient, convenient daily nutrition. That's the deal, right? One delicious scoop of AG1 has 75 vitamins, minerals, and whole food ingredients, including a multivitamin, a multimineral, probiotics, green superfood blend, and more. So to be as productive as possible throughout the day, I take AG1 first thing in the morning, before my workout, before my coffee, before I do anything. In a scoop of AG1, I find the high-quality, bioavailable ingredients effectively replace multiple products and pills with one delicious healthy beverage. It's so convenient for me. And it fits with keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, gluten-free, and vegan lifestyles, too. AG1 has less than one gram of sugar, no GMOs, no chemicals, no artificial anything. Plus, it tastes fantastic. My favorite aspect, though, is the science. Athletic Greens changes when the research changes. Unlike most nutritional stuff, when it hits the market, it just stays the same. But Athletic Greens continually improves AG1 based on the latest research. And that has resulted in 53 improvements over the last decade and counting. It's absolutely worth trying. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you an immune-supporting free one-year supply of vitamin D, one-year supply of vitamin D, and five free travel packs with your first purchase when you visit athleticgreens.com slash dailybeans today. Again, simply head to athleticgreens.com slash dailybeans to take control of your health and give AG1 a try. Also today, the show is brought to you by Helix Sleep. If you ever wake up feeling more tired than you did when you went to bed, you might be sleeping on a mattress that was made for someone else. It's crucial we get a good night's sleep for our health and well-being and our immune system and our mental health. My old sleeping patterns left me drowsy all night, tired during the day, but Helix Sleep fixed everything. I realized I had the wrong mattress for my sleeping style. I took their online sleep quiz at helixsleep.com slash dailybeans. Just takes a couple of minutes and you will end up getting the best sleep of your life. Helix mattresses are tailored to your sleep preferences and body type. You can choose between soft, medium, and firm mattresses. They have mattresses great for regulating your body temperature. One's great for spinal alignment and a Helix Plus for plus-size sleepers. 
I was matched with Helix Midnight because I like a medium firm mattress and I sleep on my side, so it's perfect for me. I wake up refreshed and energized, ready to go to the gym. Helix has over 12,000 five-star reviews. It was awarded number one best overall mattress pick of 2020 by GQ and Wired Magazine. Leading chiropractors and doctors of sleep medicine also recommend these mattresses. The Helix ones are so great. They help improve sleep so much. I, I, I can attest to this. And they have a 10-year warranty, and you get to try it for 100 sleeps risk-free. They even have financing available and flexible payment plans, so a great night's sleep is never far away. And right now, Helix is offering up to $200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows for listeners at helixsleep.com slash dailybeans. That's helixsleep, H-E-L-I-X, sleep.com slash dailybeans for up to $200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows. All right, everybody, welcome back. It's time for the good news. Well, we'll float on good news is on the way. You know, Dana, that was a good, dis- it was a long discussion, but that was a good discussion. I'm glad we had it. Absolutely. It is, you know, always good. It's always good when you disagree with, and there's good conversation to be had about those disagreements, you know? Yeah, you can't, judge my entire belief system on a 280 character tweet you know you gotta you gotta know a person indeed all right if you have any good news confessions corrections idioms what the fuck people say find the cat where's the mutt i'm messing it all up i don't care misheard song lyrics <laughs> whatever you have send it in <laughs> i may have just invented new games no, that's right it's monday it. we don't give a fuck <laughs> we don't give a fuck uh you can send that in to us at Leatherjackets and DocMartins.com and click on con no, it's dailybeanspod.com. Click on contact. First up from 66 Steve Irish. He him. Hello, you brilliant glistening beans of life. Oh, I like that. Glistening. Good news. According to PCR tests, I am clear. So I can still help my elder mom and dad around their house. We still mask up when we're near each other, though. Extra good news. My nieces in their tweens have finally convinced their dad to allow a puppy into the house. He is gorgeous, named Oriole, so you can do a what the mutt. Enjoy the pics. I love and rely on y'all more than you could ever know. Please keep keeping on. There is some Cocker Spaniel in that baby. There is, definitely. It's a a Cocker Spaniel mixed with... A lion, with a a baby lion. A beautiful, with Faye Dunaway. Look at that little spot up on the head. I know. Look, it's so cute. It looks so soft. And it's got a little thunder shirt on, his little vesty jacket. So cute. I know. Thanks for kicking us off with that. This adorable pup. This next one's from David, pronouncing him. Not much good news, but I have news to share. After the North Carolina 14th Amendment issue came up, I called my Oregon SOS office and I asked how that would be dealt with here. The response was that candidates are vetted for age, residency, and other requirements, but they do not at this point look at other issues such as the 14th Amendment ban. There may be no such candidates in Oregon to protest. I don't know. How about an insurrectionist candidate tracker? That sounds like a very good idea, David. That was my two cents, not in the good news uh, segment. And I enclose a pic of our daughter and her BF's new dog, Scooby who they rescued last month. He is six months old, Chihuahua mix. And look at Scooby's face. There's, you know what there looks like Frenchie in here, Frenchie and Chihuahua. I know, right? Look at those ears. Beefy ears and like a kind of a wider head. So Exactly, which I never even thought of a mix. And this mix is really cute. Frenchie Chihuahua mixes are very cute. Oh, Frenchie Wawas. Yeah. Hmm. It is a Chihuahua. Mm, Chihuahua. (laughs) 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 Next up. Next up from Kathleen, pronoun she and her. (laughs) Sorry, I'm laughing. I had uh, dated someone that was uh, an appraiser and I used to go appraise houses with her. And on the map, we'd we'd find streets and she was like, I don't know where we are, but I have to turn left on Chihuahua. And I looked at her, I said, I'm pretty sure that says Chihuahua. And she said, Chihuahua. Yeah, you know, Chihuahua. Yeah, all right, moving on to Kathleen. <laughs> Kathleen, pronoun she and her, hello, Beans team. Glad you're still accepting Halloween costumes all year long, all year round, you guys. Uh, because I've been meaning to send this for months, but you know, COVID inertia. I took this photo with permission a couple of years ago. I, I return to it to cheer myself up embarrassingly often. Uh, I hope you enjoy this mother-daughter bonding more than this adorable child seems to. <laughs> also, as pet tax, I've included my beloved rest in peace, Gogo, enjoying the sun and my good boy, Jack, rest Aww. in peace and his awesome nose freckles. 
Thanks for keeping me sane all these years through the unbelievable shit storm. Look at these. Also beautiful picture of the costumes. Those are really good. Yeah. It's like professional level shit. And I live in San Diego, right? We see... Lots of good costumes. Yeah, that's so beautiful. The kid's like, "Mm." (laughs) look at Gogo enjoying what appears to be wheatgrass. I know it's probably (laughs) cat grass, just cat grass. Oh, my goodness. Thank you so much for that. All right. This is from Anonymous to protect the preteen. Hilarious. Misheard shit kids say. Saying anonymous because the nine-year-old would be mortified. She was just talking about, quote, mouth boy. When I asked, do you mean Draco Malfoy from Harry Potter? She said, yes, Malfoy. Draco Malfoy. I know. She mentioned she thought it was a strange name, but maybe it was just because he talks so much. Now, I'm not a fan of JK now, but you can't beat Hermione for badass female role model. Indeed. Agreed. Pod pet tax, the beautiful babies we adopted in November. I'm almost 42 and I've never had a pet in my adult life. There was always a good reason. Money, moving a lot, or already having enough beings uh, to look after. We finally did it. And within weeks, I knew it was the best decision I've made in a long time. Look at the cat man face. Look at the fluffers. Look at your floof under the chin. Oh, yeah, but that second one's definitely man cat oh, face. Oh, my Look goodness. at the boy. Oh, and the, oh. by the way, that noise was my cat knocking shit off my the cat's like don't like those cats better <laughs> he's literally sitting right here like mm, mm, yeah. uh, for tuxedos uh, c plus is what he's saying but he is wrong these are cute kids and to show you i'm going to knock something off a counter <laughs> it's just so typical all right next up from jojo pronoun she and her oh my beans queens just got to get this out of the way i'm losing my mind so last night my long-term same girl, partner same <laughs> My long-term partner came over to baby me since I tested positive for the Rona. Oh. I'm fully vaxxed and boosted, so it's just my nose giving me issues. I'll be fine. And we were going over the story about the Oath Keepers being charged. The thing I have to tell you guys, I haven't really read up on anything. I like listening to my beans. Matto, they released the show as a podcast and such. I don't really read up on this, like the name of our U.S. Attorney General. I thought Merrick Garland was Merit Garland, like Merit Badges and the Boys and Girl Scouts. My partner had forwarded me the article about AG charging the Oath Keepers, and he was in the bedroom and just heard me in the kitchen shout, Merrick! (laughs) Merrick? After I explained that I spent my listen to the beans that morning thinking about how to make a garland of Merit Badges for Merit Garland, he thought it was the funniest thing he's ever heard. Well... I'm a smidgen of a dum-dum, but I'm sure I'll survive. Hopefully, y'all wiggle. Whoa. Oh, sorry. Y'all will giggle, if nothing else. I do appreciate all the work you do and keep keep on keeping on. Pet taxes, Mr. Snickers. Look He's at Mr. Snickers. And refuses to let me forget it. Whoa. That's what my whoa was in the middle of your sentence. That didn't make sense to the listeners, probably. I had seen the picture. Mr. <laughs> Snickers is a badass, beautiful cat. Yes, I like Mr. Snickers. My goodness, what a photo to end on. And you know what, Jojo, I have to tell you, I had heard the word awry before I had ever seen it in print. And it was used a few times in a book I read when I was younger. I can't, I was a teenager or whatever. I'd heard everything's gone awry, but I'd never seen it in print until just 13 or 14. I was reading a book. I can't remember. It was a black cauldron or some shit. I don't know. And it, the word was in there and I kept thinking it was Auri. And I'm like, what is Auri? What is Auri? And I, finally I had to pull out. And we had one of those giant dictionaries that's like 10 inches thick. Because mm-hmm. that's the kind of person that my dad was. And I look it up and I'm like, okay, well, that sounds like awry. And then <laughs> the definition, I was like, oh, I see now. It, it took me a really long time. Um, but I had been reading it silently, incorrectly for a, a long time, despite having heard the word multiple times. So I feel ya. I do. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you, everybody, for sending in these. And dude, Snickers, is the lighting, it's just fantastic. If you have anything you want to send to us, you can do so at dailybeanspod.com and clicking on contact. Dana. Yes, I do have some final thoughts. I just want to send another shout out for my show in New York on Wednesday, February 9th. And the reason I'm going to do that, numbers look like they're dropping about 10,000 a day right now, which is incredible. So I do believe that New York City's hit its peak. Oh, COVID on, numbers. Yeah, on the Omicron. Okay. Uh, so I, I, I feel good keeping this date and I, I would love for you to be there. You can get tickets at thegreenroom42.com and, uh, get to their events at the green room, uh, 42 in, uh, in, in the Broadway district. 
and I would love to have you there. It's going to be 7 p.m. Tickets are super reasonable. It's a small venue. We're going to keep you safe, but uh, get them February 9th. It's my first live show of the year and I got jokes to drop. So let's do this. Yes. And they're incredibly funny. And I wish I could be there. In fact, I'm looking into seeing if I can be there. Ooh. And we can have sort of like a beansy type meetup. Uh, so oh, that'd be I don't amazing. know. I don't know. We'll see what happens. We'll see what my, my travel looks like. You know, what my yeah, cat. just be make good, make good choices, be safe, all that jazz. Yes, indeed, everyone. And thank you for that. It's going to be an amazing show. And uh, I, I, I'm, I'm looking forward, whether I can be there or not, to you being able to, to do a live show. Thank I you. Just, yeah, I know this, how much you love it. I do. It's not it's just love. Like the income for, for live performers has just gotten obliterated. And so I know some of you double over into Stephanie Miller and you've been fantastic with tip jars for live performers over the last couple of years. But I would definitely love to have you there if you're in the New York area and you feel safe enough to go out. Yep. hundred percent. And it just feeds your soul to be on stage. I can attest to that. And I promise you will hear the best Mike Pence joke you've ever heard in your life. If you show up to my (laughs) show up to the show, if that's not incentive enough, I don't know what is. All right. You're going to tell me off the record and then I'm going to know a secret and I won't share it. There you go. Sounds good. All right, everybody until tomorrow, please take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Take care of the planet and take care of your mental health. I've been AG and I've been DG and them's the beans. The Daily Beans is written and executive produced by Allison Gill with additional research and reporting by Dana Goldberg and Amy Carrero. Sound design and editing is by Desiree McFarlane with art and web design by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. Music for The Daily Beans is written and performed by They Might Be Giants and the show is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, please visit mswmedia.com.